0: Thanks for listening to the Grace Life Podcast. As we kick off 2022, let's seek more of God and a move of God together. How do we do it? With a renewed hunger to know God. Join us as we spend these first weeks of the new year realigning our heart with God's, understanding the purpose of prayer and walking in the power of God. Well, today uh, we are in our series on Pray First and today is part three of that. And we've been giving out these bracelets. I think we gave them all out and we're waiting on more to show up. They simply say, pray first. And when it's in front of you, I wear mine upside down. So when I see it, I read it. It says, pray first to me. And it's a reminder that this is what we're supposed to do as believers. Like we should never be people who say, oh no, all we can do now is pray. It's like, no, no, no. We pray before everything else happens. That's why what we're, we're trying to focus on in this series is getting a, a very true sentence you've heard before, but getting it into our hearts so it'll be in our lives. So it's not just something we've heard a preacher say, but something that we live by. And it's this, prayer should be our first response, not our last resort. Prayer should be our first response, not our last resort. And, and the problem is we don't always live that way. And so this week I had a a conference in Texas and I I had to fly out there. And so I took four flights, two each way. And I realized that because I'm preaching the series right now, the plane was taking off and it occurred to me, I had never asked God to to bless this flight or to protect me or make sure that the plane gets where it's going in one piece and me also in one piece. You know, I I never thought to do that. And, And part of it, if you grew up going to church You couldn't do anything without praying. Like if you were in the youth group and you were going on like a little trip with the youth group, somebody's always like, all right, who's going to pray before we drive? You know, it's like, do we really have to pray over every French fry before we eat it? Do we really have to pray over everything we do in a car before we drive? And it it almost started to seem religious, like you always ask God to bless something. And and so some of us have made a pendulum swing where, where we don't even, we just get in our car and drive or we just get on a plane and fly. And I realized I was always getting on this plane and flying because I I didn't think that I needed to pray first. I thought if the plane starts to shake and if the plane suddenly drops a few thousand feet, then I will say, God, hello, I need you. God help me. But it's the exact opposite of what we're talking about. And so I, I had to just realize, wait a minute, I need to sit here on this plane before it takes off, before there's any problem. Say, God, would you bless this flight? Would you bless this plane? Would you bless the pilot? And would you get me where I'm going in one piece because I really want to see my grandkids. I don't even have grandkids yet. I want to see my grandkids, you know? So, so God, praying before there is a problem. And, and think about this. Some of you would have been praying anyway because you're not comfortable flying. I fly a lot. I'm very comfortable flying. And that is our issue. When we're comfortable, we don't ask God. It's only when we're uncomfortable do we say, God, help. God, I don't know what to do. God, I'm afraid. God, I'm worried. God, I can't control it. But when we're comfortable, like, I got this. You, You go focus on those other people that are all freaking out over there. I got this, God, I'm good. I don't need to pray First, and so that's what we're trying to change with this series. And speaking of uh, the trip I had to take to Texas, got to tell you something really cool happened. Uh, it was at a church conference where John Maxwell was speaking. I don't know how many of you are familiar with John Maxwell. Yep, come on, there you go. He is at least the foremost uh, Christian leadership expert in the world, and, and one of the top leadership experts in the world, regardless. Uh, author of over a hundred books, and, and so he was speaking at this conference, and i to tell you something really cool happened. I just got to share it with you. John Maxwell laid hands on me and prayed for me that God would impart uh, his heart for God's people to me. Come on, somebody cheer for me for that one. That's just pretty awesome. And so as he was doing that, I I, very, as slyly as I could, reached in my back pocket, grabbed my phone and gave it to my friend standing beside me. And fortunately, he was smart enough to know I wanted a picture of this. Like, this is special, man. I want a picture of John Maxwell laying hands on me and praying for me. And so he did. He got got a picture for me and I sent it to some staff members and and my son and and my wife. And every single one of them asked the same question. How did that happen? And I want to tell you the answer. Because I asked. Thank you. It is funny, isn't it? That is how that happened, because I asked. Very simply, I knew John Maxwell was speaking. I knew the pastor of the church, and I knew the pastor of the church was a friend of John Maxwell. So I just happened to say, hey, by the way, any chance that I could ask him to lay hands on me and to pray an impartation for his heart for God's people? Because I don't know if you know him personally, but he has such a genuine heart to see people become followers of God and go to heaven that's just like his number one passion is that nobody goes to hell everybody goes to heaven and I wanted I wanted that like in a way that I can't think about it but in a way that it's it's just something God does so I asked and so then when he walks into the room in front of we had a breakout session so there are hundreds and hundreds at this conference but then later all of the lead pastors went into a room and as my friend and John Maxwell walk into the room he says hey Jimmy come here And in front of every one of the lead pastors in the room, John Maxwell lays hands on me and prays for me. And everybody else in the room is like, "Uh, I want that. Hey, how do you get that? I don't even know you. You're not even a famous pastor. How dare you get that? (laughs) You didn't ask. (laughs) And the real reason I'm telling you that story is because that's our problem with prayer. The Bible says you don't have because you don't ask. You don't have because you don't ask. I can't tell you how convinced I am. And in my years as a pastor, I am thoroughly convinced of this. We live our lives on a fraction of what God intends for us. God's people live on a fraction. We do not ask enough. We do not have enough. And if you were to actually sit there and say, God, what is your true will for my life? Like, what blessings do you really want from me? What do you really want me to walk in? In, in authority, and anointing, and power. What do you, I bet every single one of us, God would say, well, you know, I got this and you're living like right about there. Well, come on, God, what's the difference? You don't ask. Now, I know some of you would push back right now and say, well, Jimmy, I have asked and I didn't get it. And Jimmy, don't forget the Bible also says when you ask and you ask with the wrong motives, that's why you didn't get it. So, you know, I don't, is anybody else like me, by the way, you just can't seem to figure out the formula. I don't ask enough. When I do ask, it's for the wrong reasons. And then I do ask and I don't get it. And so I really just can't quite figure out the formula for prayer that works. Anybody? Yeah. Okay, well, here's the deal. There's no formula. God's not at the end of an algebra equation. He's not something, someone that you can manipulate just by plugging in the right ingredients. But what we are going to talk about today, because this is true, although he's not at the end of a formula, the Bible shows us principles for the kinds of prayers that move God's heart. There are principles for prayers that work. And that's what I wanna share with you in scripture. As we look in the Bible, what we're gonna to see today, there are five principles the Bible shows us for the kinds of prayers that gets God's attention, the kinds of prayers that God says, that I can get on board with. And so I'd encourage you to take notes as you're speaking in your life groups and talking about this, you'll have something to look at, or as you're just praying on your own, when you get up tomorrow morning, how do you put these into your life if you don't remember all of them? And I always want to throw in a little plug that these notes are on our app. If you have the app, then they're right there. You just get to fill in a couple of blanks. And so we're going to start off with the first principle we see in scripture, prayers that work, and that is prayers that are sincere. Prayers that are sincere, meaning true to who you are and true to your heart. Listen, one of the biggest conversations that I've been hearing from you guys that you've been having as we started this series, the life group leaders are coming back to me. Some of the pastors coming back to me and saying, Jimmy, I can't tell you how many times I keep hearing somebody say, I would love to pray more, but I'm afraid to pray out loud. And in our groups, I even shared a story with you. How in my life group, I'll ask who wants to pray a blessing on us as we leave, and it's like crickets. I mean, there's nobody wants to speak. And every life group leader is coming back and saying, "That's my group too. That that happens to me too. Nobody nobody wants to pray out loud." And the answer to that is prayers that are sincere. In other words, just be yourself. Because that's that's who God has made you to be. And all too often we we think that in order to pray well, you've got to pray like a pastor. You've got to become something that you're not, and be like special. I mean, look, we're here in the South. You know, half of you are rednecks anyway. And, and so you woke up to somebody like, can I have a hot dog and a bag of chips, please? And then when it comes the time to pray, you're like, oh, heavenliest, Father, thou greatest and theest and thyest, and And God, you know, the reason half of you don't get your prayers answered because God didn't figure out who that was. Like, he's confused. Like, that, that looks like you, but that ain't you. So the answer goes to whoever it sounds like. And I'm glad y'all thought that was a joke. I said that at another service and everybody... Oh no, does God really get confused? God does not get confused <laughs> theologically, just so everybody knows. That was, was that was my joke. But look, can I just tell you I know how you feel? I mean, I really do. I, I had to be a part of like a citywide prayer movement, I, I think it was about a, a year ago, and they invited only a handful of pastors across our city to come together. And and so I was like, wow, you know, that's kind of special. And, and so I was supposed to get up and pray, and it was on a Sunday afternoon in a park. So I showed up like you would expect, black t-shirt black jeans, and I just didn't have a jacket. It was hot in Columbia, y'all. Y'all know what I'm saying. Just little old me, just like I normally would. And the person in front of me showed up in a suit, the pastor that was to pray. We were all going to take turns, and this pastor gets up to pray, and he's, he's dressed like a pastor. I look like a stagehand. I look like the guy's going to hand you the microphone, you know? And he gets up And he has a three ring binder and he puts his three ring binder on the podium, unfolds it. And he's written a three page prayer that he's put inside those little plastic sleeves, like all the nerds in class. You know what I'm saying? And he begins to read this incredibly beautiful and elaborate prayer. And he does so with this incredible pastor's voice, you know, and I'm just standing there thinking, I don't want to pray after that. I'm just going to get up there and talk like me. And I just sound like some kid from South Carolina. And I haven't written anything yet because I just figure the Holy Spirit's going to give me something to say in the meantime. So I don't want to do this. I know what it's like. And that same pressure is what you feel like in a life group or when a friend of yours is having coffee and, and you know the Holy Spirit's saying, would you pray for him? But you're like, that means I got to pray out loud. I mean, you don't want to sit there with your friend. Hey, can I pray for you? I mean, and so, so half the time we don't pray for somebody because we're afraid to pray out loud. Look, here's the truth. just be yourself, because that's all God wants. And I promise you, you can pray out loud when you realize you can talk out loud in that same setting—your life group or having coffee with a friend. They say, "How's your day?" Oh man, I'm having a great day so far. I won the lottery this morning. I got millions of dollars. Now. I mean, you can talk. Or, oh, I'm having a horrible day. I had three flat tires and only one spare, and even that was flat. You know, I mean, you can talk. And the problem is when we think prayer. Is, is some kind of formality, some kind of religion, or worse, we think praying out loud is a display of our relationship with God in a way that's not true to what it really is, right? Does that make sense? So, Can, can I encourage all of you on how to pray by letting you know how easy it is to fail? Trying to impress people is a wasted life, and you can't impress God. So with such a low bar, you should all be able to succeed at praying out loud. People won't be impressed. God won't be impressed. Just be yourself. Matter of fact, it's exactly what God wants. This is what we see in Scripture. Jesus taught us, and when you pray, this is the context, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think that they'll be heard for their many words, and so look, here's the point. The Gentiles was a phrase, well, it was actually a word to describe the non-Jews. So the Jews were God's people, the Gentiles were not God's people. When we read that passage today, what we could do is, is put the label on it, people who don't know God, people who aren't one of God's people, don't have a relationship with them. And so people who don't know God don't talk to him. And so they think in order to get God's attention, you've got to use fancy words and, and phrases that you hear people say and, and speak in like the King James Bible. And what Jesus is saying is like, look, don't come and talk to God like you don't know him. Just be yourself. Share what's on your heart. Hey, God, I don't really know how this is going to go down. I need your help. Hey, God, it's me. And you talk to God just like you would anybody else. Prayers that are sincere. The second principle we see for prayers that work are prayers that are persistent. Prayers that are persistent. I think sometimes God just wants to know, does this really matter to us? I can't tell you how many times I have gone back in my prayer journal. I try to do this once a month and go and kind of look back and take inventory of my life and my soul, how it was the previous month. Sometimes I'll, I'll get a little behind. So I'll be looking back over maybe two months or six weeks or something like that. And I can't tell you how many times I've gone back and I've looked in my journal and realized that for like three days in a row, it's like, God, I need you to do this. God, I need you to do this. God, I need you to do this. And then I never prayed it again. And he has not answered the prayer. And I think to myself, wonder what God thinks of me if I just forgot to pray for that. He hasn't answered the prayer, and I can't even remember to ask him for it. I would imagine God's up in heaven going, doesn't look like that's very important to you. Not even sure you actually want or need that. You can't even remember to pray for that. When we were uh, young parents, when we had had three toddlers at one point, my wife and I, we, we always struggled with Christmas. What in the world do you buy kids at Christmas, right? I mean, have you ever, parents, you ever bought your kids toys and as soon as they unwrap it, they look at it and they toss it on the floor and you're like, how dare you? You know, and so in order to avoid this situation, what my wife and I would do is somewhere close to Thanksgiving, as we were getting ready to buy Christmas presents, we would actually take our kids to Walmart and we would do what you don't do any other time of the year. And that is let them out of the buggy. We we would actually set them on the ground in the toy aisle just to see what they touch, just to see what they want. But here's what I was really after. I would then say, hey, what about this? And I would walk them a the further. Hey, hey, come see this. What about this? And even take them to the next aisle. Hey, come and see this over here. Because what I was really after was what would they go back to? What did they keep coming back to? What was the favorite thing? What was the thing that they really, really wanted? Because seeing a toy one time, they want them all. I mean, it's shiny. We're the same way. Ooh, look, a new big TV. Ooh, look, a new car. All we do is grow up and do the same thing. The question is, what do you keep coming back to and saying, God, I need you to move in my life? Prayers that are persistent. Jesus taught a parable in this. In Luke 11, it says, which of you who has a friend will go to him at midnight and say to him, friend, lend me three loaves because a friend of mine has come to me on a journey and I have nothing to set before him. And suppose the one inside answers, do not bother me. My door is already shut. My children and I are in bed. I cannot get up to give you anything. I tell you, even though he will not get up and provide for him because of his friendship, yet because of the man's persistence, he will get up and give him as much as he needs. So I tell you, this is Jesus telling us, right? Ask and it will be given to you. Knock and you, seek and you will find, knock and the door will be opened to you. Ask and it'll be given to you. Seek and you'll find knock and the door will be opened to you. Now I'm going to tell you the truth is the the, the Greek reads a little differently and it means in, in Greek a little bit better to say ask and keep on asking. Seek and keep on seeking. Knock and keep on knocking until the door is open to you. That's really what Jesus said when he said that day. Don't ask me why they didn't put it that way in English, but, but that's really the way that Jesus was, was teaching this. And I think sometimes we ask, we might seek a little, might knock twice and walk away. And maybe what that tells God is this is not all that important to us. When I was doing research for this series, I came across a, a story that John Muller tells. He's uh, an 1800s uh, evangelist and 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 had such a heart for people uh, to come to know Jesus. And he was telling the story of a friend of his near the end of his life. And he says, I have prayed these 63 years and eight months for my friend to become saved, to be a follower of Jesus. And it has yet to happen, but I'm sure it will. And he prayed that prayer every day until his last. And when he died, he had yet to see that prayer fulfilled. And many of us would say, and that's the problem, Jimmy. How many of our prayers go unanswered? How do you get up and pray every single day over and over and over? How do you keep saying God do something when it seems clear this is not what God's going to do? I mean, if you want to pray for somebody to get saved, the Bible says God wants them saved. And if you pray for them, let's say 10 years, 10 times 365, is that not enough prayer for this person to finally get saved? Two decades, come on, two decades. Anybody in here can say they prayed for anything. Two decades, 365 times 20. Can anybody say they'd do that? Wouldn't we say that surely is enough? Six decades, are you kidding me? Jimmy, it's just clear that's not what God's doing. It's just clear that prayer doesn't work sometimes. Except at his funeral. His friend was finally heartbroken as he heard how this man had spent his entire life bringing people into the kingdom and how many times his friend had shared with him about Jesus. And he knelt beside his open grave and gave his life to Jesus. You see, sometimes we give up on prayer simply because we haven't seen it in the timing that we think we should. But would you rather see a prayer like that answered as you look on from heaven or not at all? Prayers that are persistent. If we keep coming to God and saying, God, 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 prayers that are persistent. The third principle that we see is prayers that enforce authority. And we, uh, we, we talked about this concept last week. I want to remind you of this idea of authority. It says, let every person be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God. And, and those that exist have been instituted by God. Actually, the next verse goes on to say, if you resist that authority, you're probably even resisting God. And we talked about this last week, how we need to be praying for our authorities, not having a critical spirit towards them, because that can actually hinder our prayers. And so when we think of authority, what we think of are kings and presidents. I wanna to talk to you today about your authority. You see, you have authority from God and the question is, do we enforce that? You have two types of authority that God has given you. One of them is every position that God has granted us in life. If you are a parent, God has given you as a authority over your children to be a leader and a spiritual authority in their lives. If you are a business owner, God has given you authority as the leader of that business over those finances to be stewarded for the kingdom, over those employees' lives that you can, you can pray over them that you can bless them, that you can do things in their lives. Yes, if you are a king or a president or a governor, God has given you authority in a government realm to, to, to work and to have authority over the citizens of that area. If you are a teacher, God has given you authority over a classroom. If you are in charge of a unit in the military, God has given you a position where you have authority, spiritual authority. Are you following what I'm saying? And then God has given us authority by our territory. You have authority by the place that you live, the city that you live in. You can pray for your city in a way that other people cannot. You can pray for your neighborhood in a way that other people cannot. And here's the question. Do we enforce the authority that God's given us? Let me give you a picture that'll help you with this. We've got wonderful police officers that protect us here at our services. And and, and imagine that one of you has decided you want the sunglasses out of my car. And so the police officer is out there. He's watching you as you go up and you break into my car and you take my sunglasses. Now he has all authority to do something about it, but he could just stand there with his hands in his pockets as you break in to my car and steal my sunglasses. The question we have to ask, is he going to enforce authority and come over to you and say, you can't do that. Put those back. And give me your hands put handcuffs on you. Is he going to enforce that authority? And so the question I have for you is, are you going to enforce the authority you have as a parent when the devil tries to break into your children's lives? Are you going to enforce the authority you have in your marriage as a husband or a wife when the devil tries to break in and steal from your marriage? Are you going to enforce the authority you have as a child of God, as the head of your home when the devil tries to break in and steal from your finances? Are you going to enforce the authority that you have if you're a principal when the devil tries to break into your school, as a teacher when he tries to break into your classroom, as a businessman when he tries to break into your business and your employees' lives? Do you all follow what I'm saying here? You see, what God gives us in a position of authority gives us the right to say, God, I need you to move in my business. God, I need you to move in my child's life. You gave me these children to lead them to you. So right now I say, devil, get your hands off of them. Because remember, the devil has a plan to steal, kill, and destroy God's plan. But you have authority to say, back the truck up. I am here to protect that. That is the authority you've given me. So I I pray in the name of Jesus, by the authority he's given to me, that my children will be protected from the devil, from the lies that he tells them, from the scheme that he sticks into their head or wants them to live their life by. Are are y'all on that? We have authority and I think too many of us are just standing by with our hands in our pockets watching the devil break in and steal and thinking, well, I don't know, what am I gonna do? I'll tell you what you're gonna do. You're gonna enforce the authority that God has given to you. The truth that I have to add to that is a caveat. If you wanna enforce authority of God in your life, you have to be under the authority of God in your life. You see, if that police officer were already stealing my sunglasses and then you tried to steal something else out of my car, it'd be really hard for him to then enforce his authority and arrest you. As we talked about last week, one of the things that hinders our prayers is when we're partnering with the devil. It's really hard to pray the devil out of your life when you're the one inviting them in. You know, one of the things I see parents run into all the time is they don't, they don't care what's in the Bible when they live their own lives, but they sure want their kids to And they wonder, well, well, pastor, you talked about praying authority over my children and I'm praying it and it's not working. Yeah, (laughs) because you're not a child of God listening to God. Why do you think there could be a child of you listening to you? Hypocrisy does not ever enforce authority, just so you know. So that's just a real quick caveat before somebody says, Jimmy, your sermon was wrong. We've gotta be under God's authority to enforce God's authority. The fourth principle that we see, is prayers according to God's will. The Bible tells us this is the confidence we have. Would anybody like confidence when you pray? Anybody would like to pray and actually believe God is listening, he's there and he's gonna do things? Well, here you go. This is the confidence we have in approaching God, praying. If we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. These are prayers according to God's will. You see, this is full of God's will for your life. And when you begin to pray according to what you see and hear, man, that gets God's attention. And, and, and that, in a sense, also enforces authority, by the way. It's cool how that works together. When you look in here and go, God, in here it says it's your will that everyone is is saved and comes to knowledge of you and goes to heaven. That's your will. So, God, right now I pray your will over my teenage child that is going the wrong direction. God, I pray your will over my, my brother or sister that doesn't, doesn't acknowledge who you are. You, you, you read in here and you go, it says, I, I, God's will is that I'd be blessed. And you pray, God, I pray that my finances are blessed by you. My health is blessed by you. God, you you flip over here. God, it's your will that that people would be healed when they pray in your name. So I pray, God, right now in your name uh, that this friend of mine who is sick is healed and you begin praying God's will for people's lives. And can I just put a caveat in here that I think will help you? A lot of people preach the reason that you don't get your prayers is because you're not praying according to God's will. You're praying according to your will. And so you think, okay, well, I can pray for the, the Muslims in the world to come to know Jesus because it's in the Bible that those who don't know him, that's God's will. That'd be a, that'd be a godly prayer and I can, I can pray for the, the poor to be blessed and I can pray for someone who's downtrodden to be lifted up and I can pray for the sick to be healed to ask God for a vacation or a parking spot on a crowded day. Well, that's a little selfish. I don't think I can pray that wrong. You know what else is God's will in scripture in black and white? Is that his people would be so blessed far and beyond their needs That every other nation, every other people would look upon the people of God with jealousy and want to be a child of God because their God is so good to them. God, it is not in here that God's children are supposed to be poor and broken and destitute that the rest of the world looks and says, I wouldn't want to be you. Man, your prayers don't work. Your God doesn't answer. Look at you. No, no, no. God wants to bless his children. In such a way that all of the non-believers who work with you say, how is it that you just took this amazing vacation and look at your life and, and your car didn't break down on the way. You got, a, you got a nice car and you got promoted last week. Man, I want to be like you. And you get to say, well, let me tell you how I got here. You see, I just live according to God's word and I pray and I talk to God. God loves me. God blesses me. It's what he does. Yeah god just gives you everything yes he does a loving father blesses his children let me tell you what i didn't do this god did this can i tell you how to become one of god's children so i want to give you permission as we talk about praying god's will god's will does include blessing your life it's okay to say hey god you know what man life has been hard this job has been tough and I don't have money for a little weekend getaway, but I would love one. I would love to just disconnect from the world, spend time with my family, time with you. That would be awesome. And you might be surprised. Somebody calls up and says, hey, we, we had this vacation plan, non-refundable, and somebody got sick. and So, hey, could you, could you use it? God wants to bless his people because the Bible tells us, he, he told his people, I, I've got a land for you. It's a land flowing with milk and honey. Not a land with minimal needs on the bottom shelf. But I prepared a land for you flowing with milk and honey. I want to finish this point with a quote. I love this. Came across this. It says, now prayer is this. Finding God's purpose for our lives and for the earth and insisting it be done here. How cool is that? When we start looking in here and going, God, apparently your will for my life is god apparently your will for our government is god apparently your will for our nation and my life uh, my my life here in this nation and god your will for your people and god your will for my church and god your and and i insist it be done here in jesus name As, as on earth as in heaven because in heaven god's will is done without interruption and when we start insisting every day... See, here's the thing. Think about this. Apparently, there are about 2.4 billion of us on the earth that claim that we are God's children and that we are followers of Jesus. Can you imagine if every day 2.4 b- 4 billion people got up and started saying, God, your will be done in my life. God, your will be done in my nation. God, your will be done in my health. God, your will be done in my marriage. God, your will... I mean, just imagine... I mean, I'm a little excited because this is one of my new prayers. As, as we've been doing this series and earlier I taught you how Jesus said, you know, pray your kingdom come, your will be done. I realized what I pray a lot of times, I, I think it's God's will, but I'm telling him what I think his will is. God, I, I pray you do this in my life or this and so and so's life. And I've actually changed a little bit over the last couple of weeks. I've just started saying, God, I pray your will for that person. Because I know my God is good, my God is loving, and his will is perfect. God, I pray your will in Grace Life Church. I started praying that every day. God, I pray your will in Columbia, South Carolina. God, I pray your will in the government of America, of the United States. God, I pray your will in my marriage. You know what's really good? Pray God's will in your marriage. Because that trumps you and your spouse. (laughs) And sometimes both of you are the problem. So you know what I'm saying? God, your will be done. God, your will in my child's life. Can I just encourage y'all? Ask God to do what God wants to do. Tell him how much you want him to do what he wants to do. And that leads to the last one. It's going to be the most challenging. And that's why I've left, left it for last. Because that might have inspired you for a moment. But what do you do when you say, God, God, come and do what you want to do. God, your will be done. And it's not what you want it fifth principle for prayer that works is prayers with a submitted heart. Prayers with a submitted heart. See, Jesus is the one who as he was facing crucifixion in the garden, he prayed this. He said, Father, if there is any way, if you are willing, could you take this cup from me? I mean, Dad, I've, I've been down here on earth now 30 odd years and truth is I've seen a crucifixion or two and and they figured this thing out it uh it's efficient it's painful it's torturous truth is I'd, I'd love to not go through that more importantly God I mean I've never not been with you I've never known a time where we're separated and I'm going to be separated from you as I, I bear all the sins of the world and I, that the pain of the cross is nothing compared to the pain of being separated from you so I mean got to know, this is what I was sent for, but if if there's any other way, could you take this cup from me? Not what I will, what you will, your will be done. And I think this might, I don't know, I'm just going to, it's very anecdotal, but as a pastor, I think this might be our biggest problem with prayer out of them all essentially we pray saying God my will be done and if God doesn't do what we asked for we may say things like God is not good God is not loving prayer doesn't work God doesn't answer prayer or the worst is we just walk away from God altogether had a good friend of mine that I I knew for a while as he was a non-believer and we'd have coffee and talk and I prayed for him and I knew his wife was praying for him she was a believer had been a a really faithful, passionate Christian all her life. Fast forward to a point where he becomes a believer. But I have to walk him through a divorce from his wife because she had walked away from God. And so as he became a believer, she's like, I'm out. Because her sister got very sick early in her adult years and died of cancer in her thirties. And his wife simply decided God's no longer there. Because God did not answer the prayer to heal her sister of cancer. She declared herself to be an atheist and wanted nothing to do with a husband who now followed Jesus. We allow our hurts and our disappointments and our frustrations with unanswered prayer sometimes to to challenge what we think of God. But Jesus is the one who modeled for us, not not my will. I love how Jesus told God what he wanted. Told the Father, hey, if there's any other way, thanks for listening, Thanks thanks for hearing my heart, but I surrender my heart to you in your will because I know that whatever you're doing is the absolute best way and I can't tell you how the death of someone seems to shipwreck so many people's faith and it's really funny because we claim to believe that heaven is better we claim to believe that having a glorified body where your cancer really is healed and you're, you're in the intimate presence of the father and yet if God gives that to someone in a timeline we don't like then we may call God not good. Can we just go ahead and acknowledge we will never understand timing? God's timing will never make sense to us. <clears throat> we pray for something and we're ready, man. Like, okay, this is gonna take a while, God. I'm gonna come to you every single day. And he answers the prayer on the first morning. And then there are other things where we pray for 63 years and eight months for a friend's salvation. Only to watch from heaven and never see it on earth. We'll never understand God's timing. But can we take our hearts and submit them to God? Say, not my will, but yours be done. Don't, don't miss the point. Just like Jesus, talk to God about your will. Talk to God about what's in your heart. It's okay to say, God, look, if I had if I had to say, this is, this is what I would love. But I trust you. Trust you most of all. So today we're going to end by actually talking to God about that. I mean, at this point, I, I hope that you would know what to do as you left the doors to go away. And, but I don't think that there's a single one of us that can say, we do not currently or have not ever had a frustration with God over a prayer we've prayed or, or are currently praying that just didn't get answered or didn't get answered the way we wanted. And maybe it's hurt our faith to pray. And I think it's important if we just take a moment and tell God that. So if you would allow the Holy Spirit right now to show you something in your life that has damaged your faith in prayer and your faith in God because He didn't do what you wanted or hoped for in the time frame that you hoped for. He's still a very good God. Does everybody have that in mind? Let me pray for us. God, we come before you saying, We are your children. And we confess that sometimes we we do act like children. We know what we want and we expect to always get it. Even though we have a very limited perspective, we don't see all that you see and know all that you know. And we don't direct an entire universe. So, God, we come before you to say, We're sorry. We're sorry for the times that we've been disappointed with you and frustrated with you. And we're especially sorry if we ever cut off our relationship with you. And right now, we, we take the words of our Savior, Jesus. We say, not our will, but your will be done. And in our case, God, we say, forgive us for any time that we've judged how you have answered our prayers. Thank you for your goodness to us. If you would just stay in a place of prayer, I want to speak to those of you that have yet to make Jesus your king. God loved you so much and his will for you is to be with him that he had to deal with the sin that separated us from him. So he sent his son Jesus to live on the earth. He lived a perfect life and when he was crucified, his body broken and his blood shed, it was for you to be forgiven. Then when he was raised from the dead, it was for you to be raised to eternal life. It's called the free gift of salvation, but every one of us has to receive that gift. If you've never done that, wherever you are, right here in the room or those of you at home, simply say something like this to yourself and to God. Lord Jesus, I thank you that you died for me. And so now, I choose to live for you. I thank you that I am loved. I thank you that I'm forgiven. In my simple prayer today, would you fill me with your spirit and give me a life of great meaning in your kingdom? Amen. Would everybody help me celebrate with those people? Amen. Amen.